Welcome to the Liberty Mindset. Come and explore some of the ideas and issues facing our liberty. 2022 is an election year. As libertarians, we ask that you consider voting in the Liberty Mindset. Welcome and thank you for your time. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody to our third call-in episode. Um, we've decided we kind of like having the interaction. This is the Liberty Mindset, myself and my uh, compadre in crime, Jimmy. And with the things going on in the Ukraine and things going all over the place, we decided we're going to have a little bit of discussion on war. Um, libertarians are tend to be a peaceful, question mark, lot. Um, as long as you give us our guns and our tools, we don't mind if you, whatever you do with each other is fine. <clears throat> but something I'd like to start off with, um, from Matthew 24, verse six, you will be a hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for these things must take place. That is not yet the end. It's from the New American Standard Version 1995. For the first time in quite a while, we're hearing rumors of global thermonuclear war. I grew up with these rumors. We took shelter under our school desks, not because of earthquakes in California, but because in San Diego was a known target for the United for the USSR. In high school, there was a tendency to use earthquake as, a, as the excuse, mostly because it was less frightening to think that there would be an earthquake versus a brief star just above ground level in a fission blast. Most people agree that the Cuban Missile Crisis was the closest we've ever come to nuclear war. It was October 1962. I was about a twinkle in my mother's eye at that time. The premise was that Russia was installing ballistic nuclear missiles in Cuba, a mere 80 miles from the U.S. We had no similar stations near Russia at the time, and the fear being that we would uh, not Re, uh, that we could not retaliate with equal speed. Our current Ukraine crisis is a shoe being on the other foot. In 2008, President Bush and then after that, President-elect Obama agreed that bringing the former Soviet state of Ukraine into the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, was a good idea. This set the Russian Federation, now known as the RU, replaced the USSR, off a bit. The threat of an anti-ballistic missile sitting right next door, literally bordering the country, was unacceptable. In 2014, the Russian Federation invaded and annexed Crimea, a portion of Ukraine, using impossible to verify elections voted on by the Russian military imported into the region. It was literally a play from Tom Clancy novel, See the Dead of Honor. This is why the UN was created. But to force the UN action, a unanimous vote of the Security Council is needed. China and Russia are both members of the UN Security Council, so that vote will never pass. Russia views Ukraine as its possession based on the borders of the Tsarist Russians and the old Russian um, Soviet Union under the Romanov region and also the, under the Soviet borders. We were startled when Ukraine missiles accidentally struck a small Polish uh, village, killing two. Original reports indicate that they were missiles from the Russian Federation. Many people, especially elected ones, support the war in Ukraine. The question is, do we stay out or do we get involved? And that, what does get involved look like? So, Jimmy, what do you think? More like 
area in a lot of the public. So um, I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen in Russia, and I still feel like we need to not intervene until really it's been proven, but then what classifies as proof that we need to help? If I'm not asking, I mean, they're asking, they've asked for help a few times already. And then what does that help look like? Does that help look like sending troops to defend them? Or does that help look like, you know, aid in getting them out of there? Okay, so I get the impression that you're on the side where we don't get involved in actual fighting, but if they need evacuation or humanitarian aid, that's okay. I mean, I, I can see that being a lot more feasible. I mean, do we really need to sacrifice more people, more for this? Because we do, because at the moment we enter, yeah, World War Three might kick in. It's hard to say, but we, everybody looks at us to fix the wars or because we've started it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. at what point do we, do we say, you know what, we'll help you, but we can't keep sacrificing ourselves. No, I, I, I'm, I'm all over not sacrificing ourselves. Um, I, and I'm sort of as an old school kind of guy, I, you know, I have minor troubles in the fact that you don't let the bully run rampant in the playground. Um, on the other side of the coin, I also really don't want to put soldiers on the ground. Um, yeah. so I'm, you know, I'm a hundred billion dollars already is like too much. Now, is there anything else you wanted to draw to the attention before we start letting callers in? We actually have some today. Yeah, I think we should. If people want to step up and and chit chat, I think that's great. Let's do it. Okay. And I think, can I, um, Sheila, you're, you're available now. Hey, glad to to speak. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Your mic. Discuss. Your mic is doing weird things, cutting out and stuff, love. Did you plug it in and turn it on this time? Yeah, well, she had a show earlier and she was actually having that I was in on and she was actually having technical difficulties then, too. So, um, Yeah, it sounds like you're having internet issues, actually. Okay, I'm going to invite... I'm going to invite Leon to speak, and then if you come back on, you can have a, have a party. Hello. Mr. Leon. Well, hello. Welcome to our show. Thank you again for having me on. Um, Here's the problem that I see. I see that we're already in it. Um, You've titled this uh, World War III. I think World War III started as soon as World War II ended and it never stopped. I think that we went through the Cold War and that was part of World War III. I think that Korea was part of World War III, Vietnam. Afghanistan, Iraq, both times. Uh, And I think that the reason it's been happening is because we created this coalition of, of governments that decided that they needed to defend each other. So if one went to war, they all went to war. 
So as a result, we've got this pretty significant sized complex of, uh, of industry dedicated to war. And then we have people who are intended to have war. That's how they make their money. That's, that's what they want. So they, they push it. And I would dare say that they would even start it um, clandestinely. They, uh, I mean, we saw this with, uh, with Cuba. Cuba, the U S put Fidel Castro in power and then they were pissed off that he went communist on them. And then the Dominican Republic was, had a communist, uh, kind of a revolution, a revolutionary base. And they put uh, enough pressure on Rafael Trujillo to quash it. As a result, a lot of innocent people got murdered, straight up murdered by their government over it because they didn't want any more communism in the Caribbean. So if we're looking at it in terms of World War III, we're already involved. We've spent far too much money as it is, and there's no way that we can reliably get out except to pull all of our, well, we got to turtle up. We got to pull our head and our arms in, and we got to stop in our tail and, and stop trying to defend everybody and, and influence everybody and be everywhere at once. Um, but here's, here's how I think it'll end. I think this is how it'll end. I think the, the governments will, will get to the point where no one is happy with the behavior of their government and all of the people in all of the countries will eventually revolt, revolt over their government and reset their governments. I think that's what, what we're looking at for the end. I don't necessarily believe that that'll be nuclear war. That may be what triggers it. But kind of French Revolution style. Kind of French Revolution style. We're sick of this. We're going to fix it. And that means removing you or whatever means possible. And it's, a, it's a blunt force solution. Hi, everybody. I'm, I'm glad my uh, mic Ooh. is finally working. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me in, Gregor and uh, Jimmy. Yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy doesn't know you, Sheila. She hasn't been following me around. But yeah, I just wanted to say hello and you know <laughs> let let you know that I'm not actually a gray uh, New England cat, but I have two, and uh, that's my cat Sophie. She's my my uh, control room producer. Uh-huh. You'll hear her coming in, like calling it. She's like, okay, it's been long enough. Yeah, to get off the mic. <laughs> But um, to respond to, to what you're saying, I, I think that, that revolution is always a blunt force instrument and I'm really pro policy because you can't you can't vi- throw violence against violence. I mean, we have the, the greatest war machine out there. The best way to do it is to say we're going to start placing boundaries and invoking what's best in our national interest and everything cannot be national interest. The, the the spray of ins, insecurity that is worldwide, we are not the answer to the world's insecurity. So we have to kind of reorganize or redefine what is U.S. national interest and then start slamming down boundaries. And that's going to cut some people off at some point. Some, you know, there, there are relationships who will understand, who, who will allow for a positive withdrawal others will be very very um unhappy 
to, to, to say the least. Um, but NATO has, I, one of the things that Trump did that I actually felt was positive policy was for him to say, okay, Europe, start paying your fair share. You're, you're an economically solvent state. If you don't start, you know, boosting the, the amount of economy that you have on your own defense, uh, you know, you can, you can throw a few more dollars this way. And I, I really admire him for doing that because it, it forced them to do something other than demand that somebody else pay for their security. Anybody That's else a smart move. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, I, I can see both sides here and I can see, yes, certain countries are going to end up in a revolution, but it really is going to take, are the U.S. going, you know what, we can't fix everything and we need to pull ourselves together. I mean, it sounds silly, but we almost need personal time away from other countries for a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we've got a lot going on with our the, the countries on our borders. I mean, we've got a, a proto-communist state, uh, you know, to the north, and then we've got this narco-tyranny state to the south. Those aren't threats. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, I don't see the Canadians coming across our border and trying to conquer us, though they'll try to insult us into it, maybe in a gentle way, and then they'll be sorry. So sorry, eh? But, um, you know, I, what, one of the things I wanted to get towards in this whole thing is, you know, and I understand Leon's position is that the only way out is to change the government drastically. I, I, I know where he's coming from there. And, and my feeling is, is I'm a little bit having been at in countries that were at civil war, even though they were considered quiet civil wars, there is nothing on this planet that would make me want that. Um, and I would much rather see. I need to be clear, I'm not I'm not advocating for that. I'm pointing out that that's that's what will, will likely you're, you're seeing that as a probable future, not I'm seeing a, that not a condonement, but a probable future. I'm not condoning it. OK, you know, thank no, I likely can you should make that clear. And I understood that but also i know you so i know you didn't mean it, it as a this is what we're going to do overthrow the government it just happened to sri lanka and it's been happening with with tractors in uh, holland and germany and uh, i mean farmers are rising up it's it's going to look a lot like that except that they're going to visit the hardware store and build shotguns before they go right but mike part of my question is is because you know the ukraine thing I'm, I, I, and I'm kind of, and you, and Leon, your idea that we've been in this, have been in World War Three since, well, let's call it Korea. I mean, we got out of World War, we got out of World War Two, and next thing we know, we're in Korea, and then the enemies were fighting there, and you know, uh, people don't realize, free, people forget history that MacArthur was like all over, going all the way to Beijing to finish that war off. Um, you know, he was big. He was a real big proponent of, you know, we're not done here when we when we got the 38th parallel, his thing was, you know, we have the equipment, we have the manpower in the right place. We should be going to Beijing because if we don't fight them now, we're going to be fighting them later. And, um, you know, but of course we couldn't do that. Um, now, my question is though, and let's take Ukraine and, and put it on the shelf for a second. Is there any cause for the United States to get involved in a war? Um, and I, when I when I talk about war personally, I am looking for something with a finite goal. Um, the war on terror was a joke. It's not a war. It's a attritional, you know, thing of of ugliness, and and they're they're proving that. But I mean, was 
after Pearl Harbor, where we justified. And, and you know, let's put aside the conspiracies that, uh, you know, the U.S. tried to make sure we got into World War Two, because I really a they're probably accurate. But B, are we you know, are we the are we where we justified in actually fighting that war? I don't I don't I don't believe that we're we're beholden to Ukraine whatsoever. Uh, oh, I'm with you on that. But I'm just saying, is there any conditions under which war is valid? No, no, no. Unless we're hit first. That's the only reason is if somebody strikes us for us to strike back. And even then, I don't know that striking back's the right move. It really depends on what it, the circumstances are around it. But I don't really see a purpose to war other than to belittle and basically beat down another country into submission. Well, I think the interests that have been involved in Ukraine from the very from the get have been totally corrupt. Uh, Biden has economic interests in the oil fields over there, which are competing with Putin. Putin wants zero competition for his oil. He wants to own the oil that's there. And he wants he wants an oligarchical monopoly on the economic resources in Ukraine, the wheat and the oil. And that's 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 what they're going to war for, really. It's land, it's it's tourism, it's oil, and it's it's the it's the wheat that they manufacture. That that's my estimation there. If I were to go to war and want to take things from another uh, economy that was viable, um, you know, th- it's an easy grab to steal slash conquer another nation and just take it. Mm-hmm. And that's the mindset of Putin at this point. Um, he's overinvested in my opinion, uh, because now we, I just put a news item in the chat. Uh, American uh, U.S. forces are on the ground in Ukraine. So we have blood and involved in this, this grab of tribute. Mr. Biden was personally invested in Burisma, and this is widely reported. Okay, it's it's out there, but nobody see. It seems to be like the elephant just kind of you know shambling around in the room, and nobody seems to want to want to look at it. They're just kind of brushing up against it and stepping around it, and you know, you know, there's elephant dung all over the place, and you know they can see it, they can smell it, but they don't know what to do about it. You know, this is this is Biden's hall. And there's open corruption, open seated corruption and and that the Ethics Commission hasn't they haven't mummed not a word. So I'm waiting for the ethics people to get involved. But I haven't heard anything about that. They don't they don't get to say anything about the ethics of the executive branch. They only get to say things about the ethics of the legislative branch. That's not that's not their role, and we would be an overstep of the the twice impeached president might argue with that. Yeah, I'm going to say so. They had no problems taking lobbying ethics uh, insinuations at him or his children. That's correct. Well, let's go back to Pearl Harbor, though, because that's what we were talking about, and we went back to Ukraine all of a sudden, enabling uh, Ukraine, not talking about Ukraine, just talking about where we justified in World War II. We were justified in a, a response. We were justified in waging an entire war that went over uh, over the entire sea, you know, entire Pacific to uh, deal with all of that. We were already in the, the, uh, the war at that point. We had sent uh, 
materials and manpower in detached service to China to defend against Japan. They knew that we were helping them because the Flying Tigers were there. And they knew that if they did not attack us and remove the capability for us to respond, that they would have a bigger problem eventually. But what they did is do is they underestimated the response. And the response was very, very decisive because once they said, oh, we're going to do this, there were warnings saying, if we do this, that's a really dumb idea because I think it was Admiral Yamamoto has always been attributed to saying that there would be a rifle behind every blade of grass. And so attacking directly would have been a bad idea because then we would have been able to be fully invested, uh, fully justified in full, in full investment in that war. It's an we argument never, for a well, well-armed public, though. <laughs> it, it is. And that, and that, was, that was the argument for, for not invading the U.S. At, at any point. And Switzerland Hawaii in World War II, not, Germany never invaded Switzerland. So That's right. Hawaii, that is correct. Hawaii was not a state at that point. We had, we had uh, planes shot down by Switzerland in World War II. I don't know if you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. Well, they were neutral. Broke, airspace got shot down it did not regard and did not matter which side it they were on if you broke the airspace you were going to get shot down they sent fighters up and they shot you down because you reached their their territory right then i don't blame them to be honest they declared war on us um and i think that got a the, the response that that they were looking for or not understanding they were looking for that raises a huge question and an elemental question for the Congress. Did Russia uh, declare war on us or, and, and is an indirect war declaration even necessary anymore? Well, that's an interesting that's question. Um, because as we stand now, we have um, the the brick um, the bricks organization bricks. Is developing. Um, that's for those who don't know. That's uh, was a Brazil, Russia, India, China, and China South Africa. And South Africa um, are making a economic alliance, which is probably going to turn into a military alliance. So we know that Iran is already helping Russia and Ukraine um, with with you know supplies. Um, Interestingly enough, made from American parts, but that they're not supposed to be able to get. But, um, you know, so that so the question is, if Russia does something that is that causes us to accept their challenge of war, and I don't mean declare war on them, but respond in, in a battle, what the U.S., not what I think is correct, but what I, you know, what the world will probably think is correct. Um, you know, do we then look at all of the players in that organization and say, you know, if one, if one declares war, does do, did they all just declare war? And that's kind of what you're saying. I don't see why they're guilty right? by association. Well, you know, but Russia was actually aligned with uh, Nazi Germany before when they declared war on us. You know, so why why weren't they the enemy? Well, they changed sides because Nazis tried to attack Russia. They went on to the two front war that, you know, ended up destroying them. There's a difference between allied and and non-aggression pact. 
that's what Russia had with Germany was a non-aggression pact, but Germany broke that, and so they allied with the other uh, oh, that's organizations valid. that were were doing that. So that's that's different. You know, they they all both had a, a hand in wanting Poland out of the way, and they agreed that one was going to attack Poland. But as soon as they went over over that border and attacked Russia, that was over. Yeah. Didn't want, uh, Russia didn't want to have to deal with Poland. They wanted to go after Finland. So that's what they did. Is they went after Finland. And so they were fighting on two fronts as well because Finland was repelling them and quite successfully, I might add. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to worry about Poland because Poland didn't have the manpower or material to defeat uh, Germany. Uh, and Russia. So they focused on Germany and didn't worry about Russia because Russia was busy. And then they lost against Finland and Germany took a, a, took advantage of that and they threw everything they had and then some in defending against Germany. So that that's you know that's a completely different deal and they and they did scorched earth on their own country they they earned uh, their own fields and they and they shelled their own cities and you know evacuated in advance and shelled their own cities so there was nothing left for the germans to take over and they even made it to moscow at one point and i remember the story being that somebody was really really mad because there was no one to surrender to the to the guy so i mean when you when you look at it that way they took a completely different thought process they said we know we're going to lose but we're going to make you pay for every inch yeah and we're going to make it's it kind of like an ex-wife not worth your time <laughs> yeah. i was thinking like the whole thing sounded like a food fight in a high school auditorium they have all your cliques you know with feuds against each other paying attention to everyone else and be well meanwhile Endless grudges. across the room and hope that it'll hit something <laughs> and, well i mean i think really think you know uh diplomats are teenagers at heart um you know i, I really <laughs> don't think that it's funny because you know we talk about you know maturity and all this stuff but uh you know for the most part when i look at our politicians they don't have any kind of decorum they're just teenagers and that's the sad part is because people are making life and death decisions that many oftentimes the populace wouldn't agree with because again you know the ukraine part of me would like for them to be their own country the other part of me is it's you know it's not my job um and uh uh, are you it's never been your job to do anything in ukraine unless that's really what you're doing well i mean i've lived in foreign countries so i've seen you know I, i i used to live in a little tiny country called lesotho and it's right next to the republic of south africa um it's a member of the British Commonwealth. And uh, I was there during the Reagan years and I saw how a strong president changed the way the world looked at you. And that is, to me, part of the problem. I think if Trump had been elected, as much as I don't like his tweets and all the other things, he did so many good things. If he'd been reelected, we wouldn't be talking about Ukraine right now. I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think the Russians would have gone in. They, they took the cue from Afghanistan and said, oh, well, these guys are incompetent and they're not going to do anything. So let's go ahead and take the rest of Ukraine. 
And I mean, Trump's just kooky enough for people to wonder, what is he going to do? Do I want to even roll that dice? Well, do if I, I was president, I'd have a twitch. If I had a, if I was president, I'd have a twitchy eye because if you have a twitchy oh, eye, then you, you people don't know what you're going to do. And that's actually the best kind of deterrent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. When I'm really stressed out, I get a twitchy eye. I had no idea that you, you felt that way or that others felt that way. I get oh, yeah. one. I get a really twitchy eye. No, I have to force it. So, but, um, you know, the, the, but I mean, if I was, you know, as a ex-professional poker sure. player, I would, you know, do <laughs> everything in my power to keep out. people completely, uh, I, you know, I have do my best to keep everybody completely clueless as to what I wanted to do and just keep them guessing because if they're guessing, then they won't do. And, you know, we have enemies out there that are declared. They, they told us where there are enemies and yet we keep treating them as friends. China, for example, um, North Korea, for example, you know, we keep trying to negotiate and do things with them. And it's like, yeah, I, just I, assume. I think our China policy should absolutely change. Mm-hmm. And it, we should well, we should probably go into a Cold War posture with China. Maybe. And at least an economic mm-hmm. hot war. But I, I just watched something on uh, Epic Times because um, I'm a subscriber to them. And they were talking about the hundred year war that China has plans for. And it's like, you know, we keep t- treating them nice, but they've never wanted us to succeed. Their, their goal has always been for our destruction. And, uh, you know, it's like, when, do, when are we going to, and I mean, they have records for it. They have interviews, they have, you know, actual hard documents that say that, you know, and it has been the case since their inception in 1948. Um, yeah, 1949 I mean, I is the when the resolution thing. was when 1948, they were trying to get things mm-hmm. together and, um, you know, they knew they wanted to get rid of the U S it was always part of their plan. And it's like, yeah, we don't, we pretend that we're not going to do that. The big earthquake that's supposed to happen along the Pacific Rim, I feel like it's something people keep touting and there's all this evidence here and there, but nothing's happening. Why are they just sitting on it then? I just think that um, that China has has uh, many, many interests within the polity. And uh, I think that they there are many businessmen uh, that have become quite addicted to that nice flowing Western money that have has been coming over. But I think we forget that this is still a communist nation and that everything that they are doing, they can compel slavery among their people to work on our products. They can compel the state can compel uh corporate, you know, labor in order to, to, to build our products. And um, that's not something I'll ever be okay with. And so I think that that for that reason alone, we really should be backing out of uh, economic ar- arrangements with China because these are not voluntary arrangements. These are, these are compelled arrangements by the state um, for people. I mean, they, they are supposedly fed and clothed and given housing and stuff like that, but they said the same thing to slaves over here at the peak peak slavery like look you have these clothes we give you shelter we give you like i'm a slave i can't leave <laughs> you know? and it's exactly the same compulsion like these people are being compelled to to put together products when they would be doing other things like writing books or uh you know making music or whatever it is that they wanted to do in a day um and they're being compelled by the state to, to labor for profit over here. And I'll never be okay with that. Uh, but it's really not about me. Uh, they're not asking me, but I think that the, the Chinese fascists over there are really taking advantage of this situation. 
And, um, and we're, we're, we're playing dumb and blind when we shouldn't be. And we're, we're playing patsy to a genocide, open genocide. These are, these are real crimes that are happening right now. Um, and, and we shouldn't, we should not be doing this. We should, we should adopt some sort of stronger adversarial posture because they are the low grade world war three. And yes, they talk a lot of shit. Yes, they do. Um, but they're not, they're not levering bombs. They're trying to do the bloodless war thing right now to keep their uppers happy. They're like, look, we're pushing fentanyl. We're killing a lot of them. We sent COVID. What do you want? Business. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to invite oh, William in. He's been waiting patiently. So. Oh, yeah. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me okay? No problem, William. Yes, we got you. Welcome, welcome. Hey, so Sheila, you and I go back a ways. Don't take offense at any of this, but everything you just said, you can say about the good old USA. I'm sorry. The transnational corporations and the international bankers brought that production over to China to maximize. First of all, wait, North American Free Trade Agreement. About that. Asian free it, it doesn't stop the fact that China's doing their thing. China's doing well, theirs. I, I'm saying that we have our part, but China is definitely doing their own dirt. Well, yeah. And William's point is always that, you know, we we and because if we opened up China for manufacturing, we're the ones that are encouraging it. But also, as you pointed out, um, Sheila, it is their gig. Um, and it's it's one of those funny things where, yeah, we are partially we are at least somewhat responsible. Our money helped them build that a lot. And that's why that they you know, they haven't attacked us at this point, because they know if we pull out all our money, it's going to be harder on them than it is on us. If our okay. economy crashes, so a lot of other economies will crash. That's why so many people hold their tongues and decide not to go after us. And Leon, I didn't mean to bump you, but if you want to say some more things, check your notifications. Or, uh, you probably have an invite to become a speaker. So you come up to the level that Sheila's on and you'll have, you know, you won't get affected by the queue. There you go. I'm sorry, William, go ahead and finish up. Okay. Well, if we look at the World Economic Forum site and we recognize who's been speaking there over the last several years, you see a collaboration of NGOs, politicians to make this all <laughs> manifest as it is. You have the Belt and Road Initiative they talk about in 2018 about bringing the economic uh, manufacturing and economic power to China. And again, we, we got the Beijing Free Trade Agreement, we got the Asian Free Trade Agreement, the Trans-Pacific Pact. This has been going on for decades is this shift of manufacturing. I live in Bridgeport, which was a manufacturing hub of New England, especially during the wars. There's a lot of super fun sites yet to be cleaned up. And it's, um, it's a sacrifice zone. Uh, Paul, there's a lot of them not the only one in the United States of, of broken down old manufacturing buildings. There's no market. The economy is in the tank to even do anything with those buildings because the real estate is worth, it's not worth the cleanup. The, the, the feds are not acting. We got the Stratford tank engine factory sitting empty uh, on Main Street in Stratford and a lot of buildings in downtown Bridgeport. Uh, the, the Remington Arms shop factory. I mean, this was General Electric, Westinghouse, um, Sikorsky in Stratford, which a lot of that's been gutted, sent to Turkey. Um, so what I'm trying to say is I think when we talk politics and we talk, if we're not 
taking in the bigger picture of, of and who really initiated the birth of the World Economic Forum is the Bilderberg Group. Um, and we have all the transnational corporation bankers involved in this whole process. Um, I, I, I think we're missing the mark. Quite frankly, when we talk about it in the context, I keep hearing on calling on a regular basis and I'm no expert. In so so what, what is the mark being missed? What I think mark. is we're not. OK, let's look at the World Economic Forum, uh, Great Reset Agenda, Transhumanism, Central Bank Digital Currency, of which you have all countries on board with the World Health Organization. Um, there, there are. Oh my God, we, we have they're incorporated in their agenda. We have Trump spoke at the WEF, what, 2000, I can't remember, was he 2020 speaker? Yeah, Z speak in 2017, 2021, Bill Gates, 2022. That's the tip of the iceberg. We have their young global leaders, which of course, Bushwa brags about penetrating world governments, Macron, for example, uh, Trudeau, just to give a few examples. We have the, the global influencers. You combine the young global leaders to the global influencers, up to 5,000, roughly 5,000 around the world that are shaping the policies of global transnational geopolitics. That's where I think we need to be speaking. China's, let me say something. No Chinese person, no uh, um, Mexican, Guatemalan ever took a job from America. It was given away by a corporatist. Okay. Leon, I know you want to say okay. something. I, 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 I've got to point this out. I'm a corporatist. I own a corporation. Everybody who is smart is a corporatist because it protects their personal assets from their business assets and their business actions. If you're thinking that it's a corporate thing, you need to stop thinking it's a corporate thing. It's a cheap thing. It's a thing that is caused by government with the idea that you need to have a minimum wage. You remove the minimum wage, you make it so that the, that the U.S. can compete at labor prices, and then you can talk about whether or not the business went across the, the ocean to China. That's okay. the problem. Always been the problem. It's never been a corporate entity that's done it. It's always been a government entity that is screwed with a corporate entity that says we have to deal with our shareholders. I have a corporation. I just happen to be the only shareholder right now. I wasn't the only shareholder. They quit. They moved on. But if you're going to tell people that it's the corporate, the corporate person that does this, it's not the corporate person. They are trying to make money. The way they make money is to find the cheapest way possible to get the materials that they need. And that means they're going to order it from a container ship from China. That's how they're going to do it. Why? Because China does not have 16, 17, 18, $20 an hour minimum wages. We don't have to pay people $20 an hour to sit in front of a textile mill and watch a shuttlecock go back and forth across that mill weaving fabric. We don't have we don't have to do that. We can send that job to China where they can pay somebody a penny a day to do the same job. You're suggesting happy for it. 
you, what you did I completely disagree with you because my father had a bicycle business here in Bridgeport, Spoken Wheel, for 40 odd years. A small business. And I saw how that got ruined by outsourcing and all the like of what you're saying. Let me say this. You tell me what a living wage is here in the United States. You're suggesting that we compete on the world stage where, um, where Delphi, for example, outsourced all the work in Flint, Michigan, to Mexico to the equivalent of three dollars an hour because you want to maximize profits my friend I oh plast i'm sorry god william where'd you go no i it was me i hit the wrong button i'm sorry william if you want to come back please do lance it's your turn no, I, i'm so well just a couple quick you were saying i well i mean hold on a second lance let's let sheila finish oh i i just wanted to say as a point, if we economic interest has to, corporatists are always going to look at. They're not going to give a crap about action or that. And you're cutting out again, Sheila. Sheila, yes, it's sad that corporates just going to care more about the the bottom line because they're looking more at the numbers and the production rates. And they are at the people in the situations in which they outsource to, sure. Yes. But as an individual, that's can be frustrating. I can see how, how it would be. Nation states are held to, 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 to the bottom lines. There's a baseline. And, and there are the fact that UN is a okay, the the fact that the South We're only getting every other third oh. word. Sheila, you're only getting other third word every third word. Okay. So Lance, what did you have to say? And then I'll let after you're done, we'll let William back on. Because I apologize, William. That was my bad. I'd like to have an extended back and forth, but I'll be I'll be very brief, you know, because I'm just entering the cuff thing here, right? The richest country by far in the history of the world is the United States right now. The OECD countries, that's about 40 countries, Chile, Colombia, not just the G7, not just the G20. We're at the middle of the pack at best. We're either in the middle or mostly at the very bottom. Infant mortality, all of these things. Now, arguably, I, I don't think there's any question that there's no major country in the world that has anything close to what we have in terms of free market economy and the duopoly and all that stuff. It's not a coincidence that the most capitalist country is also the most about the most unequal. And the fact that the richest country in the world can't take care of its homeless and can't do universal health care. It's not something that like, Oh, well, it just happens. It happens because for instance, Stock buybacks used to be illegal. It used to be illegal for savings and loans to invest in commercial. It used to be, and we had unions. All these things happened and made it better for workers. No coincidence that when those laws got debunked and defanged from, you know, starting with the New Deal itself to now, that workers have done more poorly. So the idea that if we were only a freer market, if we only had more capitalism, no, the idea of a minimum wage and all that, come on, come on, come on. You know, other countries have six weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you know, of paid vacation, all that stuff. Okay. And the those, EU does not countries. have, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me just finish. The EU does not have 
penny labor like China. Somehow, even with all how fucked up they are in Europe, it ain't no utopia, but they still get a guaranteed way. They still get cheaper free education. Every country, including Chile and Colombia, by the way, not just EU, has universal health care. The fact that we can't do it is bullshit. And you can't tell me that the most wealthy country in the world can't get it done if they wanted to. Yes, I can. The reason is, is because those countries pay an exorbitant amount in taxes. They pay more than 50% in their taxes. That's how their tax brackets work. That's how they pay for all of those things. You cannot tell me that they're that that we cannot I just handle this homeless honest. problem. You, no, you okay. you had your chance. It's my turn. Please let you me cannot, you. You cannot tell us. Can I, just, can I just add this on? I want to respond to this. No, no, please. I just want to throw this on there because you're saying things that I know you're going to say. Okay, when I talk to people from Europe, lefties, righties, whoever, because they're on call in too. And I say to them, you know, they like Trump over there and they got uh, Le Pen and some people that are very, you know, Trumpy. I said, OK, what if Trump went over and said, we're going to give you American style. We're taking away all your vacation. No more guaranteed wage. You're getting rid of all your vacation. We're getting rid of all your universal health care because we want you to be like Trump in America. The far right, they're about immigration. That's almost all they're about. There's no way you're going to go to the right wing parties, whether it's for politics or whether it's because they like it. If you went over there as a right winger and said, we're going to take away all your universal health care and sick vacation they would tar and feather you before they rode you out of town on a rail that's just a try i'm heavily armed so that wouldn't work very well in their favor let's talk about this in terms of what will happen what will happen is if the people are allowed to do the things and we aren't allowed to do the things if for instance you walk through lincoln city oregon and springfield oregon you are not allowed to give things from your car to someone on the sidewalk. You are not allowed to give something to a pedestrian. That is a law. So it's not a question of can't, it's a question of won't. They won't take care of their homeless population. Why? Because they see it as a way to uh, to beat the system and they don't want to you to break beat the system. the capitalist. That's, that's what they want what to do. They said. want to Why do you think provide. The right wing in no, 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 you're, you're cutting. No, my turn now. No, my turn now. My turn now. My turn now. I'm not listening to anything until you get me. Let me get through this. It is a question of won't. We won't take care of our homeless population. How is that a, a thing? Because if there is a no population, no homeless population, there is no reason to keep the voters speaking to about this next politician who's going to take care of the homeless population because the problem is fixed. They can no longer use it as a reason to aggrandize their situation. It is not a question of capitalism being bad. It is a question of politics being bad. And I'm coming out of this with the full knowledge that I was literally just the the libertarian candidate for governor. And actually I still am for another week or so here, literally in politics, being a politician and watching these people do these atrocities to our public for your vote. It has nothing to do with money. We have the money and we have the methodology to do it. But the problem is, is that we want to take it from one person and give it to another for free. And there's the problem. It's theft of your money coming out right, of your Republican pocket by a government fund for the express the purpose of making it a point under, uh, under, uh, your under, uh, money under Trump and, then and the your vote. It has nothing to do with the candidate, period. Or, the, or corporatism, 
period. It has everything to do with the politics in this country and the way they're doing it. And no, you're not going to tell me that the EU is is just is better off because Greece joined the EU and then immediately was bankrupt. That's right. Because they spend three months out of the year on holiday. Why do they do that? Because they want to and they decided to make that a thing. And if you tried to take that away from them, the working populace would revolt. However, do you have to have it in uh, in in the code, in the in the law? No, you don't. We could remove the minimum wage law right now. And people would say, I'm not working for that. You were just paying me fifteen dollars an hour. I'm not working for anything less than fifteen seventy five because they really would be it. empowered. They would be empowered. I have not worked for minimum wage for the better part of a decade. Why? Because I know that my wage in it, my wage earning capacity is higher than minimum wage. And I will not take a minimum wage job. Not for any reason, period. It's not a corporate issue. It's a person not understanding that they exist and they have all of the power to beat the corporate issue. And they could say, I don't think I'm going to work for this job. And now we're seeing that happen in Newport, Oregon. There is a sign, a banner across the McDonald's saying we're going to pay $17 an hour. And down the street at Taco Bell, it's $17.25. Why? Because they can't keep people there long enough to take those take that money. They are so, so (laughs) completely out of out of power there that they have to bribe people to come work for them by exceeding the minimum wage by almost $3 an hour. Lincoln County is not a $15 an hour county. It's a 12 and or $13 an hour county. So they're having to do ridiculous prices because people won't work for them. That's the problem. And if you're going to apply it to a corporatist attitude, you're going to lose that argument every single time because it's not their fault that you don't know how to negotiate a wage. Okay, I'm going to let Lance back on. Lance, I do request that you don't speak, talk over everybody. This is your turn, so go ahead and take it. Right, of course, of course, the minimum wage guy at McDonald's, you don't need a minimum wage, seven twenty-five, because he's going to go in there and say, hi, I'm 16. I never had a job before. It pays five bucks an hour, buddy. Oh, no, but, uh, but I need minimum wage. I need to have a living wage of thirteen twenty-five an hour. How far do you think that's going to go? The idea that people have an opportunity to negotiate their wages. Oh, and guess what else? Guess what else happens? At the high levels, when you go into a company and there's lots of tech secrets, they make you sign a pledge that you won't go to work for a competitor. It'd be too easy to go and learn one company's secrets and take them to another. Now they do it with fast food workers. They blacklist. You work for the wage I want. Go try to get a job at Wendy's. You don't think I'm telling the truth? Go look it up. But you still haven't answered this. Why do you think those Trump support Trumpers, they, they like Trump in Europe sometimes. I'm talking about Marie Le Pen. I'm talking about, you know, people like that that support her. They aren't giving up their wages, their free education, or their uh, all of their, uh, their, their free health care, regardless of the high taxes. And guess what? They're not giving it up. When you tell them, hey, we're going to make your taxes low, but you're going to have to negotiate on the open market for education. You're going to have it be like America. You're going to have to take out student loans. You're not going to have any more free health care. Buddy, you're not answering that. Answer that directly. Europeans on the far right, this is just a fact. Go look, go ask people that are from Europe right now, left, right, or center. They would tar and feather Trump or somebody that says, we're going to take away all this stuff to give you American democracy. 
That's just a fact. Trump, we don't do that anymore. And economy are this those people, and it was a Democrat or Marine Le That is democracy. If you don't go to a not democracy in South America, democracy in Europe, they vote people out with a with a with a thumbs down. They have three or four elections in a row. Look at Great Britain. They didn't like them. The popular like him and he's gone now the conservatives got to pick Europe's democracies I say in Europe's democracy my way I don't, I don't and I don't prefer wouldn't that be some weird you know they they were is it me is it me or is she breaking up no Sheila is breaking up I'm sorry Sheila I don't know what to say you are breaking up uh, can you hear me now? It's broken. It's like you're having an internet issue. My God. I think you have a bad case. <laughs> um, Lance, can I ask you to let William come on for his turn, or do you have something else you need to do? Well, I mean, why don't you make him a speaker, and I'll just stay, I'll mute myself as a caller, then we can both talk, or... <sighs> That's because that's not the way the game works. William can come on as a caller, and I'm just making sure you're done before we move on. Oh, you know, whatever, man. That's not okay. I didn't know some people do that when they want to engage everybody. They keep up one caller, make the other speakers. Uh, well, no, I, you know, I'd like to have a back and forth because I know how to mute. You know, as much as I can interrupt someone, I know how to mute. But anyway. <laughs> All right, William, I'm sorry for the confusion. And Lance, if you want to have something else, hop back in the queue and I'll let you in. Hi, Gregor. No problem. Things happen. Um, anyway, I need to calm down. It's a good break. I completely disagree with your panelists. Um, I do not feel we have a free democracy here. Far from it. Uh, the corporations do. K Street uh, influence. Uh, the electorate. In fact, there was a Princeton um, Northwestern study that was Professor Gillen's and Page respectively that both said after a 20 year study, basically the votes go to what those special interests um, are, are pushing. So it's not the common people that have influence on that. Where there is no connection in this country between Wall Street and Main Street. The stock market, the bailouts, the quantitative easing, one, two, three, four, agnosium, the amount of money uh, produced by the Fed to subsidize the stock buybacks. And we can go through the whole litany of malfunction that happens. The corporate tax rate, uh, the top Fortune 500 companies, I think the top 60 pay zero federal taxes. I mean, how can we compete on a, in, against China? where I don't really know what the effective wage is there in comparison once you have the exchange rate, but it's nominal. Same thing with Mexico. We had Duffy clean out, clear out of Flint, Michigan for that reason, when NAFTA 
uh, you know, uh, uh, was enacted. Uh, uh, we, we, we have lost, let's see, there was a Tom Brokaw special ed quite a while ago. I'm going to say almost 10 years ago, citing we lost 5 million manufacturing jobs to date at that time. But we have many other service industry jobs. So the idea that the power is in the workers' hands, maybe in your state, sir, or your county, but not in Bridgeport, Connecticut, Maybe you need to come out here or go to the coal, coal um, mining uh, towns or the steel industry towns or go up and down the East Coast. This is not the reality. Um, there are not the level of jobs to support uh, even the tax base here to, to where federal funding that should have been earmarked for housing, according to HUD, Park City Communities. I was directly involved in, um, uh, in trying to out that uh, with the um, um, George Byers, who was brought in by, uh, from Indiana for HUD to clean up the Class D rating Park City Communities and Amera jobs. And uh, what was happening was the um, Mayor Ganim wanted to use the money for policing in the in the low income areas because there's no corporate tax base to support the the, the outsourcing has left Bridgeport broke. So uh, I know I'm it's just there's so many symptoms of this happening where now the infrastructure was not built for the low income housing for the people who've lost their jobs, even the disabled like me because of uh, Mayor Ganim used the, a lot of the money for the policing budget. And finally, the uh, George left. George Byers left and back to Indiana. So, so th that's just one symptom of this malfunction that we call a democracy. The, 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 the courts are completely corrupt. Uh, I've, I've been arrested four times, suing three law firms, suing municipalities to try and create change, reporting to our attorney general's office, the DOJ. Uh, there's so much fraud and corruption here that the task force on corruption that was initiated in 2015, Deidre Daly, she indicted my my dad the, the CPA my father's probate matter and then Trump fired her and they gutted the task force on corruption. They blocked me and they wouldn't meet with me. We do not have a free democracy. That is a, a delusion. I'm that sorry. Have a democracy at all? It is a republic. Right. We do, and that's the problem. So, so what power does a worker have? Richard Wolf cites. I'm sorry. Did you want to say something? Uh, uh, one thing is we keep assuming we have a democracy and like Leon said, and like Gregor have said, it's, we are a Republic. We are not right. a democracy. And that word is, is a fallacy because it does not, it's not what America is. It's what right. people want it to be, but it's not right. what it is. Right. Right. I agree. So we agree on that for sure. Um, and frankly, I, I kind of lost my train of thought for a moment. <laughs> I, I appreciate your both uh, uh, commenting in that fashion. When I worked in Southern California, I was in construction. I, I operated heavy equipment. I worked my way up from a laborer to a lead operator, even on federal Superfund sites. And I was a bartender for a while in restaurants and at bars. And I did a lot of landscaping. You know, I did anything and everything for a better part of 25 years. And there are a lot of people from Mexico, some who came in every day over the border when I moved to San Diego County, that had fake papers. And there were foremen on the sites, American-owned businesses, foremen on the sites who had the pipeline to bring these people up. 
and they had no labor rights. It suppressed the wage in Southern California dramatically and and um, and crushed the unions there. And and who was profiteering off that was the American companies utilizing the the, the, the less expensive labor. And when they we weren't, as, you know, I work a lot of different companies and some companies work like this. Usually, you know, show up early in the morning, like when we we're doing the San Diego Convention Center at that time, the, the underground work, I was an excavator operator. Show up early in the morning. I have a morning meeting around seven or so in the morning. And you work for four hours, catch a break for 10 minutes. Then you, uh, several hours, you have your lunch. Then you have a break in the afternoon. Well, some companies said, well, listen to the crew. They would say, how about if we eliminate the breaks, but extend your lunch? If everyone agreed with that, that would fly. But then there were companies that would take your breaks away and not extend your lunch. And because they had the power to do it because the job in the labor market was in the double bind and, and the local labor board had no field workers to go out to monitor anything. And fortunately, I was a good enough operator. I would just stand my ground and get laid off and get another job. But I left behind a lot of undocumented workers that they were profiteering off of. And part of the thing for me was standing up not only for my workers' rights, but theirs. And so this is the problem that the American corporate class, a lot of them, even here in Bridgeport, we had an issue where we had fields was a company brought up from North Carolina. And I go down in the morning, I was staying at extended stay for quite a while, extended stay. And I spoke a little Spanish, not very much. I learned in Southern California and these guys working seven days a week and no one on the crew was speaking English. They're all speaking Mexican. And Sunday morning, one day I went down and it was a continental breakfast situation. And, and I'm talking a little bit of Spanish to some of the guys and they were surprised and there's some Spanish, of course. And so I said, I said, oh, I said, mucho trabajo, domingos, uh, cuantos dineros uh, semana. You know, you're working a lot, you know, Sunday, seven days a week, uh, I'm asking. I said, oh, see, si, see. Si. I said, cuantos horas uh, se semana? And I'm asking how many hours a week they're working. Right. And we're, and then the next thing was, are they getting uh, uh, over over 40? Do they get time and a half over 60? Are they getting double time? No, 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 no. Well, the crew that led the crew were American English speaking guys. And I would talk to them because they pulled, you know, they have boarded up uh, three, 550 with the trailer behind a pulling excavator. And I'm, so I could talk to them on their level. And that those guys knew they, 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 it was a bid contract, right? So they get, they lowball the bid and then they use these undocumented workers and they're lowballing and they're shorting them. Don't tell me that we have power as workers because there's no way in heaven's green earth. Now at the time I was already disabled and unable to, to, to even want to work, but I wouldn't want to work for a company like that. And that was here even in Connecticut. And so, I told, that's been my experience. So I share it because I know there's a lot of other people, including possibly Lance or, or, or anyone else who's worked in, in construction work. Oh, when I was ten and bar, most of the dishwashers were undocumented people who didn't barely spoke any English. And because I learned a little Spanish on the job sites, I was able to talk to them a little bit and I would tip them. I was the only bartender tipping the dishwashers. We're making next very little money. Okay. And 
So, so, but that's not my job to do. The, and, and, and one last thing I want to say, Richard Wolf talks about what a real living wage is in America today. He said, if it was a single income household with two kids, it'd have to be $40 an hour. If it was a double income mother and father uh, with two kids, it'd be $25 an hour. My father bought his house for $16,000 in Trumbull, Connecticut in 1960. He sold it some 47 years later for nearly $480,000, a little less. But for, for sake of simplicity, that would be a 3,000% increase. There's no way the wages have kept up anywhere near that when you include the cost of inflation and, and adjustments uh, for all those things. And Richard Wolf is correct. And, and, and not to mention that the consumer price index is a total fraud. No one can tell me that if you incorporate the cost of housing increases along with everything else we're seeing, that the CPI is any reality in the world. I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you want to say something? Um, um, it's a Richard or, or Lenny? I can't tell. Leon. Gregor is, is, is uh, Leon, I, I'm going to ask though, if you go ahead and uh, was there anything else you needed to cover, William? Because I really wanted to get Lance back on and then he, she, he's going to, I'm sorry, Jenny, he's probably going to be the last caller. Oh, okay. Well, the last thing I would say was a spoken wheel bike shop. The fellow worked for us decades bought it. I didn't really want to do it. I did other things in California. We used to have six employees here in Bridgeport Connecticut, spoken wheel. My father was, my mom got to stay home, raise the kids. Uh, there were three, three, no, let me see, my stepsister, actually four children, including my stepsister. So, you know, it was foreclosed on during the pandemic. Chris got behind in his taxes. He, he bought the building, bought the business, bought the building. The estate was carrying the note. And the reason I tell the story is he got behind in his taxes. A lot of people did in Bridgeport, the economic forces and and all oh, that would take a while to get into. But point I'm trying to make is that because he was behind on his taxes during the CARES Act, during, during the pandemic, he got foreclosed on. They stole the equity. The the appraisal for the building two years before the pandemic was 225000 It was foreclosed on for 51400 we do not have anything that anything that I could do about it or that Chris could do about it or anybody because uh, I'm disabled. My SSDI is 803 a month. It, I, I didn't apply in, uh, until I was already had been disabled. The judge found me retroactively disabled in 2012. Judge Boyd, March 2012. I, 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 I didn't apply because I didn't know how the system worked. I had some money at, uh, until uh, 11, 2017. Let me tell you something. They only go back 10 years from date of application. My, my SSDI is based on 37 months of income, not 120 months. And, and so, so, and, and Bernie Sanders noted and USA Today, 10,000 people a year die in this country just trying to get their SSDI. That's what this reported. So, so, you know, we have many problems that can't be solved by the workers. If that could have worked, we'd be, we'd be seeing equity, which we don't. So anyway, okay. Thank you for the time, Gregory and, and panel. I appreciate it. Uh, All right, William, you have a great day and thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. So let me work this backwards. The first thing that happened, the, the last thing you talked about was that, that um, they foreclosed on a property before taxes. That's a government issue, not a corporate issue. The corporation had nothing to do with that other than they should have made sure the taxes were paid. When you get a loan from a bank, they take the taxes 
as part of the mortgage so that they don't have this problem. That's, that's part of what a bank does. If you're carrying a note, you need to be taking extra in payments so that you can handle making sure that taxes are paid so it doesn't get stolen from you. Okay, let, let, we'll put that to bed right now. Let's go back to the minimum wage thing. Minimum wage in the U.S. was created in 1938 as a way to devalue the wages of people of color, and specifically blacks and Asians. Why? Because if you did that, then the white guy's labor was automatically worth a little bit more to you because you felt you had to. That's why it was created. That's why it's been continued to be pushed. Every time the minimum wage goes up, the first organization, the first group of people to pay for that are the people who are young. At this point, it's become an ageist discrimination system. Right now in Oregon, in the county that I'm sitting in, the minimum wage is $13.50 an hour, and, and no one is offering a, their starting wage at that rate. Why? Because they can't get people to work for $13.50 an hour. If you are willing to work at $13.50 an hour, your parents did not teach you how to negotiate and did not train you how to work, and therefore your wage is probably not worth that much, and you're probably not going to get the job anyway. See how that works? Okay, let's go to China. China's minimum wage, compared to the federal minimum wage, is four times lower. We see, we see here on uh, nationmaster.com slash country dash info slash compare slash China slash United States slash labor. I can't just post it because it's on a different machine. The salaries and benefits, uh, about halfway down the page, it says $1.73 ranks 74th in the world versus 725 federal minimum wage ranked 13th, which is four times more than China. In Oregon, we are almost double that. And in some places exceed that. The Portland metro area is 14 something an hour at this point in time, uh, 1475 an hour. So if knowing this information, trying to tell people that they're gonna sit and watch a shuttlecock go back and forth across this weaving machine because we're getting a lot of our textiles from China, you're probably gonna have an increased amount of money tied into labor. In the US, labor and transportation are the two primary costs of business. Why? Because labor is associated with both the guy sitting at the register and the guy driving the truck. And transportation also includes fuel and upkeep of the truck. Without those two things, you do not have a business. So when you're looking at a business, you're looking at the, what the cost is. I happen to be a truck driver. I happen to be a welder. I own businesses because I didn't like working for minimum wage and I preferred to go and take the risk on myself and make a lot more. As a welder, I charge a minimum fee of $100 an hour plus my costs. That's my labor rate as $100 an hour. If I'm driving a truck for somebody else, I might go down as low as $25 an hour. And every time the minimum wage gets raised, I'm pretty pissed off because that makes my labor worth less. I don't like it. Take it's us not out, a Lance. Corporate issue. Take us out, Lance. So, 
in so many ways, Europe, we're a laughing stock to Europe. And again, I go back to right wingers. They talk to right wingers. They do interviews. You can look this stuff up. You will not find, because if they want to move to America for business reasons, they will. People move from Europe to America. But if you don't think that the people of Europe know that they're being taxed at a high rate, they know that. But like I said, you can't refute this. You can't. They think we're a bunch of idiots that we take this shit and don't have universal health care, cheaper free education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And why we're 30th to 35th out of the 38 countries in the OECD. That's just a fact. And by the way, between the two parties, that's all we got. Oh, you got Angus King from Maine who, and uh, Bernie, right? They caucus as Democrats. We have two parties, both of them. Democrats are worse because Democrats control more of the high population areas and all the big homeless problems and the nimbyism in California. It's from progressive policies, not just in, not just being corrupt or incompetent, but the policies themselves are fucked up. Okay, so a pox on all their houses. And by the way, sorry, buddy, I know you're a libertarian, but as far as the Green Party, DSA, working families, libertarian, they all suck twat. Excuse my French. I, you know, forget any of them. I want... Independent. That's it. Now, like I said, you can't talk about what they got in Europe because they won't give it up. Believe me, man. They would lavish you. Say, yeah, we want what America had. They don't. Number one. Number two, we're not a republic or a democracy. Anybody that thinks that any of the 535 people, frankly, you know what? I'm certainly not a far right person. Okay. I'm a lefty in general. I'm heterodox. I have independent thoughts, but I, I wind up on the left on a lot of things. Things. But I'm saying is that may I? May I? So just to, so uh, you know. Nevertheless, the only people in government right now, the 535 people in the House and Senate, the only ones that are campaigning and then trying to rule as much as they can and being 100 percent honest about it is the far far right of the GOP, and that don't make me that don't thrill me. It ain't McConnell. It ain't Schumer. It's the MTGs and the Gateses. They talk shit. That's wild. Then they go into Congress and do it. They're the least hypocritical. Hopefully they don't take over. But no, none of them are worth a damn. Oh, let me finish with this last thought. First of all, two, two, two quick points here. It'll be a lot less time than he just had. Okay. 25. Okay. 5% of the world's population, 25% of the COVID deaths, 5% of the world's population, 25% of the people incarcerated in the world. I'll leave you with this. Dostoevsky, I'll leave you with this quote for now. He said, don't judge a society by how it treats its accomplished people. Judge a society by how it treats its prisoners. And we've, uh, we've, uh, we've, uh, we've criminalized homelessness and the mentally ill, as well as 40% of the people in jail are there for nonviolent crime. So don't judge a country, a nation, a society, how it treats its accomplished individuals, judge it how it treats its prisoners. And like I said, you could include the homeless and mentally ill. Right, left, center, I'm a populist, the people, us, yeah, I'm a fuck up because I didn't do enough, okay? But however it worked out, we're among the last place country and we're the richest in the country, richest country in the world, and we're at or near, at best in the middle, if not the bottom of the pool when you talk about OECD, the 40 countries that make it up. And that just, that just it. All right. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate your time. I, I'm going to point out that, that uh, the COVID deaths, uh, we did not get anywhere close to 25%. Uh, we are at 1.1%. You um, are going quiet there, Leon. You moved away from your microphone or something, brother. 
we had a, a we had a one point one percent death rate in the U.S. and we did not rank uh, in the top five. So twenty five percent is not the cor- the correct um, assignment for how much COVID death we had. And uh, because of that, I'm going to suspect that the other statements that were made were not based on fact either. So uh, at this point, I don't have time to to look at that because I have a thing here in a a few minutes that I got to go get some people for. But um, I am sorry that you are a member of the Independent Party and the Independent Party in Oregon is worse than Democrats. In fact, they are considered Democrat on steroids. And it's great that you have a a thought process. I would will note that the largest political party in Oregon is not a political party, but the non-affiliated voter. And with that, um, thank you for having me on. And I will. All right, Leon, thank you very much for coming in. Um, now we're going to close out now. I'm sorry, Hakeem, I'm not going to have to. Oh, I see you decided to not call. Okay. Um, this was supposed to be an hour and we've now been an hour and 15 minutes. And um, I hope everybody had time to say what they needed to say. Interestingly enough, we got into the economy aspect. This was supposed to be about war. Um and it's interesting. Those things are related. So I love the way the conversation drifted. Uh, the Liberty Mindset is going to be using Colin for the foreseeable future. We have our podcast every other Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. So come and join us in two weeks uh, for episode 13 on December 3rd. And then on December 17th, the 14th episode. If you go on to Discord and look for Gregor H. At, Gregor H., that's my same as my username here, you'll see in the corner of the screen. Um, you can find the Liberty Mindset on uh, Discord. And you can also email us at thelibertymindset at gmail.com if you want to know more. We're coming up to decide our 2023 schedule. If you'd like to see us more often, you want to participate, or there's a better time, send us an email and let us know what you think. Now, closing, since we were talking about war, war is a fact of life. There's not a century in this history where there was no war. But most people hate war, but many of them are pushing for a free Ukraine. The United States is giving billions to Ukraine with no end in sight. Will Russia continue to tolerate our interference? I don't know. Is America responsible for world peace? I don't think so. But... We have this time to come and chat and uh, share each other's views. So I really appreciate everybody that participated. (laughs) These are many more questions. I ought to have answers. Thank you for joining the Liberty Mindset. And please continue to seek truth and stay curious. (laughs) 